uh, I can't think of any any one day where we didn't support each other uh, in it. some way, some small way. And if somebody is falling down, then they put them on their back. And when they fall down, that person puts them on their back. Here, here. And that that is that's that culture that I'm talking about. Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. I am super duper, super duper duper excited today because I have two amazing founders, two amazing founders who have an amazing story that uh, um, of an event that just took place. But before we get into the questions and all the good stuff, let me set this up, if you please. Today is a special episode of Afternoon Tea, as I have Sarathi, Sarathi Niker and Jason Smith, co-founders of Clue, an AI-powered competitive enablement platform designed to help product marketers collect curate and deliver actionable competitor insights to empower revenue teams to win more business. Sarathy is an experienced software professional with a deep background in data processing, security, and design. Prior to founding Clue, he played an important role with local tech firms, Active State and Sophos. Meanwhile, Jason Smith is the co-co-founder investor or and early employee of five startups, including acting as the former president of Vision Critical, a startup to 500 plus people, VP of Electric Arts, and co-founder of web applications pioneer, the Columbus Group, which was acquired by TELUS. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be Happy here, to be Chris. Here. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, let's let's talk about the big news. Before before we get into the story, let's talk about the big news. Do one of you want to tell me what just happened and the big step of Clue's success? I'll let Jason go because he was <laughs> the one instrumental in making that happen. Yeah, so Clue, Clue we're happy to announce that we raised a $62 million uh, US dollar Series B Congrats. with uh, Tiger Global leading it and Salesforce Ventures participating. So it's an exciting time to fuel up the rocket and see if we can take this further. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, here, here, here's a question because, you know, most, most, you know, people who start off in the, in the, in the, in the, in the startup world, they think, Hey, once I raise, well, you know, 2 million, I'm set. Well, you guys raised 62 million us. I mean, what, 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 what do you do to, to celebrate that? And I'll, I'll ask you, Sarthi, do you do what, what, what do you do to celebrate? Um, like, how did you celebrate? And what's the next step? Like, is it raising more money? Do you start that right away? Or do you just realize, hey, we got the runway, let's go with it? Yeah, it's a, I, it's, celebrations are hard for me because internally I'm, never, I'm not a satisfied guy about anything. You know, I'm never, mm -hmm. never that satisfied. I'm like, we could do better. You know, we could do this, this a little bit. It, this needs to be over here. It's not over there. Why is it not over there? So I'm a little, uh, I don't know, in my internal brain, uh, I'm a nitpicker. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Jason is that way to, to some degree too, on different things, right? We are, we are like that on different things. Mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. sweat the small stuff on how your table looks, um, but the way the code looks, you know, mm -hmm, I sweat mm -hmm. that a lot. Fantastic. Um, Jason, uh, Jason, Jason sweats the details on a whole bunch of different things that, so we're kind of complimenting each other with that, that sort of mentality. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But at the same time, we both realize that that's our natural state and that we need to celebrate the wins. Uh, yep. Otherwise you, you sap energy from everybody around you, right? Completely, um, completely. You have to, you have to celebrate. And, and our way of celebrating is by uh, calling out the people who, uh, who made it happen and the people who have been with us um, through it all. Um, and, and Jason and I, uh, with our spouses did, uh, did take some time out, went for a dinner, nice Good. dinner and, you know, our spouses have been uh, probably the single biggest uh, influence and mm. supporting uh, um, elements of this story. Uh, and they rarely get called out, right? We don't talk about them much at all. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's so fascinating. It, because It is important to celebrate. Com completely. And I love the way you brought the spouses thing because, you know, you can't do the startup. You need that balance. You need the yin and the yang to help you, right. you know, with, with the rest of your life. So, you know what, three, three cheers to the spouses out there. Um, I think, I think that's wonderful. Well, you know, you're, you're saying that you guys, you know, you're, you're, you think about the nitpicking, the, the next steps. And I think, you know, your investors love hearing that. I, I know for a fact they do, but I just want to say as someone from the Canadian uh, startup community and someone from the Vancouver startup community, I noticed the party that everyone else was having. 
Um, they, they, there was pride. There was, pride, you know, huge celebration. So I just want to personally give you a huge congratulations. And, you know, and thank you for making me smile when I got to see it, because I've heard so much about your company over the years and so much about both of yourselves. And, um, you know, to see a huge win, like a huge win. For the listeners, that's that. Well, that. well, tell you what, tell you what, let's, <laughs> let's, I mean, we, we got to the, where we are now. Where did it start from? Where did you guys meet? Uh, J- Jason, why don't you explain to me, how, how did you both meet? I'll, uh, I'll give that background. I just wanted to pick up on that one point, the employee oh, level of celebration. I think that mm-hmm. was just one of the most compelling aspects of it. So less about a physical party and everybody celebrating there. What you see a lot of from Clue employees is the spillover onto social about their excitement genuinely about the company, whether it's an SDR talking about, this is my first week at Clue, the culture ended up being exactly like what was promised before I joined the company. The skepticism turned into reality, and they'll share that. But then, you know, you raise a bunch of money. There's a lot of pride in, hey, I, I picked a good startup to be with that has like exciting growth opportunities with the fuel to get there. So, yeah, you saw that spill on the LinkedIn primarily. That tends mm-hmm. to be our primary social channel, and um, it's amazing to see we're up to 150 employees now, and that just hey, I'm, I'm with this company. This is what we did. This is really exciting. I just want to tell the world that. So you're right. The celebration was kind of like a, um, I don't know, a micro social explosion of pride that hit LinkedIn, which uh, I, you know, I really liked. Thinking about how Sarley and I met, it was, mm-hmm. you know, when you go back to the very humble beginnings, and this is, you know, it's fun to think about the two of us in a room and uh, a whiteboard saying and thinking, well, if we could pull a couple of these things together, we might have a business here. Initially, we weren't even sure how big the business could be or what it could do. We thought maybe it'd just be a bootstrap business and we'd have a smaller uh, group of folks that we'd work with and build kind of a place that we both wanted to show up to every day, build something challenging that we could mentally work on for decades and something that um, was with the right people and the right culture. Uh, Sarathy and I had spent a lot of time in different cultures um, of companies, and we wanted to make sure this one was kind of set at the same level. So, you know, the very earliest days, I'd say most of the founder conversation was, what kind of company do we want to build culture-like? How are we going to set that tone? Um, you know, Sarathy mentioned, we don't tend to celebrate things ourselves a lot and recognize that gap and find the people that can actually instigate a little more celebration as an example, but we have a work ethic that is, it's a very high bar. And so Mm -hmm. how do we find the people that actually appreciate climbing mountains rather than, you know, the easy path and uh, that, you know, kind of set the tone. So I would say, you know, how we met was, uh, who was it? Sorry, I think it was uh, actually the current GM of Lyft that uh, Sarathy worked with back in the Mm -hmm. Sophos days. Um, he had come out of the Sophos world, and I was looking for a co-founder to get started. And uh, this being my fifth kind of related startup, I didn't want to start a company without a strong, complementary technical co-founder. And mm-hmm. so did a lot of dating. And when Peter introduced Sarathi and I, Sarathi was actually in India um, caring for his parents. And um, I literally was going to hop on a plane to fly over to India. We had like, I don't know, 200 and something mutual connections Sorry, the co-wrote Pearl back in the early days of the web and and like our you know, my first company was entirely built on CGI Pearl scripts to think, you know, we were down the block from each other, but never met. Mm-hmm. I was like, who is this guy? So really wanted to connect and meet, had to fight Amazon because he was threatening to, well, they were threatening to give him a nice big fat job there. And I'm like, you don't, you don't want to work at Amazon. You want to, you want to do a startup. And, um, and thank you. I'm going to interrupt there and say, yeah. I cringe every time he says I co-wrote Pearl. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was, yeah, I, I did some things there. Uh, I, I was a maintainer for a few years uh, of the main Pearl releases that came out and did a bunch of stuff uh, that made it possible to run Pearl uh, on Windows. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it co-writing Pearl. But he, he hypes me every chance he gets. Gatekeeper, so, per, you know, you you're you're part of the Pearl DNA. How about that? How about that? If you yeah, if you, you Google Pearl, that, maybe Sarathy's name will pop up. And at the time, it was Gurusame Sarathy. Um, had a name change, but that you know, Sarathy's mm-hmm. incredibly modest. He was release manager for many years which show up at conferences and people would line up for autographs. So if that wow. co-wrote might be too strong, but um, 
you know, he's a very good looking man, but to show up at conferences <laughs> and have autograph lineups, Brad Pitt style, like there's something what he did in the parole community that got that group excited. So, but yeah, fair. Um, I am, I am the, I am the hustler. He's the hacker. And that's why it makes a great founder couple. Well, I love, I love the fact that you, you, you focused on the fact that we need to find complementary skills and complementary styles, because that is one of the biggest mistakes. I think a lot of the young startups do is they, 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 Hey, you're my friend. We do, we both hack together. Let's do something together. And they're, you're, you're missing a key part of the equation by doing that and, and quite possibly going to hurt a friendship too. So um, well, I think that's, that's a, that's a fantastic uh, origin story. Um, well, yeah, Jason, about- mentioned, Jason mm-hmm. mentioned us uh, kind of aligning on uh, the culture first. And mm-hmm. remember <laughs> the first thing we kind of said to each other was, uh, you know, I would love to create a, a place where I would like to come to work every day. Right. Mm. We were focused on building, and this was uh, probably the first thing we discussed. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be great to create a workplace where both of us would enjoy working every day, instead of you know dreading it or you know it becoming like a a tough thing every day to deal with? Uh, yeah. And I think we've kept that particular focus on on making a, making the place great to work in. That's fantastic. I mean, I remember, I remember one of the first, when we founded uh, my company, one of the first things that we had, we had a guy in from Seattle say, Hey, this is a great stage. I'd love to be you guys. Cause you get to define culture. And I didn't really understand that at the time, but boy, after the, you figured it out pretty quickly, but here's a question for you. You, 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 you both actually, cause you guys like to interrupt each other. You told me you're going to, so I'm just going to go with both here. Um, <laughs> what's the balance of the definition of the culture? How much is it executive and how much is it, is it team? Is it like 50, 50, 90, 10, 100 to zero? I doubt that. Is there, is there a number that you think of when it comes to culture that who defines what clue is? It's, it's part organic. Go ahead, girl. Yeah, part, it's part organic, uh, part defined by some of the values uh, that seep out from the practices we have put in place. Like I'll give you some examples. So very early on, we decided that uh, our internal drive uh, you know, the, the Google Drive storage that we had would be open by default, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That we wouldn't try to kind of hide anything. That was a transparency thing that we, we have lived. Uh, as we have kind of uh, grown bigger uh, for compliance reasons or what have you, we have made minor adjustments, but that uh, openness and transparency has stayed with us to this day. And that actually gives gives it a very open feel. Um, you know, when you come to work at Clue, you probably uh, see a lot more than you would normally see at other companies. We share notes from board meetings freely. Mm-hmm. You know, every board meeting we do is like an open book. We talk about what we discussed there and and um, tell people about what we uh, showed in the board deck, for example. And then the second thing I would point to is um, very early on, we had this meeting uh, that we set up every Friday, uh, Friday uh, afternoon called show don't tell. Mm -hmm. And that was about um, showing everybody else, you know, instead of talking, actually showing what, what happened that week with you, right? Everybody can come, come to the table and show off something they experienced, whether it's negative, positive, you know, whatever it was. Uh, and the intent there was to not speak in words or, you know, because words are subject to interpretation. They go through mm-hmm. layers of translation and, uh, and interpretation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, whereas showing the actual thing you're building or the thing that happened or the, the, the piece of code you wrote or something, you know, really in front of you doesn't require any parsing or interpretation. It is what it is, right? And so we kept that meeting. We still have that meeting. We meet every Friday. We, uh, you know, anybody is welcome to kind of show off what they what they did, mm. and that sort of acceptance of you know just let it all hang out and uh, and show what you mean as opposed to saying what you intend uh, it has has been one of the defining features of of our culture. I would say. That's awesome. I mean, these are very very like very simple expressions of culture in the sense of like, you know, even something as simple as at the very beginning, hey, we're gonna leave that that Google Drive open. I mean, most of the young startup people don't even think about that in terms of culture. They think that of in terms of, you know, it, 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 
everything translates and you, once you start from it, it's hard to, you know, until you, like, like you said, when you start getting a little more successful and you have to kind of pull back for, 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 for certain legal obligations. Um, but I really love those definitions or those descriptions of culture. Well, we'll tell you what, um, I'm, I'm really, I'm always interested because, um, you know, everyone in Canada is an immigrant at some point. I'm really interested in your personal journey. Um, so you, you, um, you were educated um, in India and in the States. I saw that you went to Michigan, was it? That's University right, of Michigan, yeah. a great, great school. Um, when you came to Canada, well, first off, why did you come to Canada? And what were your expectations uh, for being in Vancouver, like in terms of lifestyle and, 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 and work? Yeah, I, I didn't have any any sort of preconceived notions about mm -hmm. what Canada would be like. Uh, so when I when I went to the U.S., uh, I uh, I actually got a fellowship to do a Ph.D. in architecture. My undergrad wow. degree was in architecture, fantastic. And I got interested in uh, computer-aided design uh, systems for decision making. While you're you know designing buildings, there was precious little feedback from you know CAD software at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you, it, it, there was a lot of avenues for helping, but the, the state of the art was not to actually provide you some supporting uh, stats about what you're sketching or what you had in mind. So mm -hmm. the, it wasn't like a two-way conversation with the computer. It was more like, oh yeah, let me use it as a drafting tool, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to fix that. And that was a sort of a pet peeve of mine in during my uh, design years studying architecture. Mm -hmm. And so I came to, um, I uh, connected with a, a professor at the University of Michigan, and they gave me a fellowship to attend uh, Ann Arbor. Um, I didn't, you know, my parents were not wealthy or anything, so that you wouldn't have been able to do that without a fellowship uh, oh, that nice. paid everything. Uh, so I, I moved to the, uh, to the US, uh, spent about uh, three years uh, in the PhD program, Mm -hmm. And then realized that would commit me to uh, um, an academic lifestyle, mm -hmm. which after having been in it, uh, that I didn't really enjoy the thought of staying in an, an, you know, an academic for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And so I had second thoughts about it. Uh, that was the same time around which I got involved in the open source movement, which was mm -hmm. on the ascendancy at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, software that people wrote uh, just for the sheer enjoyment of it was being released out into the open with no expectation of any kind of payback, right? Mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. a very laissez-faire, uh, yeah. sort of um, non-economic um, mindset with open source software at the time. And then in the late 90s, uh, that, that movement kind of gained steam and there was, um, there was an open source conference uh, that was put together by uh, O'Reilly, the book publisher. Mm -hmm. um, and I attended that conference and met a bunch of the, the Pearl uh, people that I had worked with day-to-day. Uh, uh, -day. You know, there were maybe around 200 uh, odd um, people helping maintain Pearl. Mm -hmm. And none of them had met each other or most, very few of them had <laughs> met each other. They, we, we only knew each other by the emails we would send to each other. We would judge each other based on the quality of the, those emails and the and the I like academic of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I, I decided to kind of stop short with my PhD uh, track, uh, and instead I, I got a master's in, in computer science, and then mm -hmm. I was looking for what to do further with, uh, with my involvement with Pearl at the time. And there was a company in Vancouver that was uh, trying to get Pearl working well on mm -hmm. Windows, uh, and they had some funding from Microsoft um, back then. Mm -hmm. And so the, the founder of that company, Active State, uh, reached out to me and said, hey, you keep what, whatever you're doing, you just keep doing that, uh, but you can come to Vancouver and we'll, we'll keep paying you for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I had graduated uh, from uh, University of Michigan and I was looking for, so what's next? You know, do I want a job or do, what should I do? And this seemed perfect because it, it dovetailed with my passion at the time, uh, working on these, these languages. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's that's came to I then I visited Vancouver and I love the weather compared to uh, uh, Michigan, yeah. right? <laughs> Warm Canada compared to cold, cold the United yeah. States. I dig that. I dig my, that. Yeah, my tropical bones uh, mm -hmm. felt mm -hmm. uh, every winter in Michigan was like, uh, oh my goodness, dread, dreading the winter time in uh, Michigan. And uh, I when imagine. I when I visited uh, uh, Vancouver, that was in November 1998, I think. Um, mm. I actually saw that winter was not that bad 
you know, it, mm -hmm. it rained a little bit, but it, it was kind of mild compared to Michigan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I also love the fact that Vancouver was so multicultural, you know, they, mm -hmm. it had all kinds of uh, ethnicities and influences, uh, which I enjoyed. Fantastic. And, um, you know, openness to nature and all that was an attract attraction as well for me. And then, so then I moved in uh, in December uh, mm -hmm. uh, 1998. I moved, and then I have stayed here ever since. Well, how how long are you with Active State? Uh, I was with Active State for five years, and in mm -hmm. 2013, uh, Active State was sold to Sophos. So I mm -hmm. stayed with Sophos for another 10 years after that. So that uh, I guess that bears into my next question: is what did you do as the, as the chief technologist of Sophos? I, I guess that was just a marriage that continued then. Yeah, so one of the things that led to the Sophos acquisition was us building an anti-spam uh, tool, you know, a, a way to, uh, to uh, filter out spam from your email uh, mm -hmm. for companies and universities. It had an early success with universities. And it was built around um, uh, open source at the time, you know, Perl mm -hmm. and SendMail. SendMail had a framework for embedding a policy engine. Uh, mm -hmm. inside it, uh, which I contributed to as well at the time. Uh, wow. And so I, I essentially embedded Perl interpreters inside SendMail. And, uh, and it could execute any Perl code you chose to, wrote, uh, choose to write. Uh, mm -hmm. And it would, uh, and Perl was really good at text processing. So it was a perfect language for um, writing heuristics uh, using regular expressions or other kinds of uh, fancy text manipulation. Uh, so, so that that became popular. Yeah, that mm -hmm. became popular uh, in primarily in universities to begin with, and then some big companies like AT and T mm -hmm. uh, got wind of it, and then they adopted it, and that kind of led to its success. So it became pure message. We called it pure message uh, a bit later, uh, and then Sophos uh, was one of the partners we were using uh, for embedding an antivirus engine uh, as mm -hmm. well in in the email flow, so that. At the time, there were a lot of uh, spam messages that also mm -hmm. would have viral payloads. Like if mm -hmm, you click mm -hmm. on it, it will take over your machine and stuff like that. So that was uh, that those those that evolution kind of led us closer to Sophos, and Sophos realized that they didn't have a solution for anti-spam, and they mm -hmm. acquired the company because of that. And then once I was at Sophos, uh, I continued to be involved in uh, all of the perimeter protection uh, software that we built. We built mm -hmm. appliances for filtering the web uh, traffic uh, inside companies, uh, email traffic, and to uh, write policies around what sort of traffic is okay inside mm -hmm. a corporate environment, for instance. So that led to other things like uh, UTMs, which are uh, hardware, um, wire speed, um, filtering engines. Um, mm -hmm. So we acquired some companies uh, in that space and we built, uh, built further, um, further perimeter protection uh, um, software and hardware. Well, I, I know the guys, the guys at Sophos, or the people at Sophos, I know they're great. Well, there's, um, I think, two floors above, or, well, I think they have two floors in total above us. We see them in the elevators all the time. And right. uh, um, so, um, you know, I got to talk, get a little talk, a little hacky stuff and uh, the old send mail stuff, CGS. I mean, yeah, I remember that stuff back in my university days too. So um, thank you. Thank you for working on that stuff. Cause that was uh, definitely, definitely important. Well, Pearl, I mean, if you're, if you're an old, older dog like myself, I mean, we definitely, you know, that was kind of the, uh, the, you know, now they do Python being the easy scripting language. Um, you know, Perl, Perl was it back then with what you could do. What made Perl such an interesting scripting language for you? Well, in the early days, uh, there were hardly any uh, dynamic programming languages that were mainstream. Uh, and at the time, my, my, I got involved in Perl because I was uh, writing a simulator, a traffic simulator, uh, mm -hmm. as part of my uh, graduate assistant duties, I, uh, I worked on a project uh, to simulate the traffic in the city of Detroit. The mm -hmm. Federal Highway Administration in, in, uh, in the U.S. gave mm -hmm. us some funding to study why uh, traffic networks um, get bogged down, right? Mm -hmm. Why do you have traffic jams? Uh, and can we improve the situation? Mm -hmm. uh, can we find a system level optimum for traffic uh, flow in the city of Detroit mm -hmm. by providing route guidance, uh, guidance to vehicles in the city. Uh, mm -hmm. And so this was in the early days, there, were, there weren't the you know, handheld GPS devices, right? In the nineties. Mm -hmm. um, 
they were they were trying to study if they should put in place a system from Siemens, which was more like beacons, traffic beacons that mm -hmm. would send signals to cars, saying instructing them to take the optimal route, right? Mm -hmm. And so the question was, if you fed information to all the cars in the system, uh, would you end up with a system optimum, or would it would it not work? Mm -hmm. um, uh, would you end up with a local optimum instead? So in traffic theory, there is no answer, right? It's a chaotic system. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. you had to simulate uh, with set given set of inputs uh, to find whether what the behaviors would be. So we would inject the system with different kinds of uh, types of vehicles and so forth. Uh, but mm -hmm. for doing that, uh, there was no way to dynamically specify what the vehicle behavior should be. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for a, a programming language that was easy to use for traffic engineers to specify what all the parameters are for a vehicle behavior. And so that's what led me to Perl because it, mm -hmm. it felt like a language that I could embed in this big real-time simulator. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I found, uh, keep, I kept finding bugs in Perl and I started fixing them one by one. And then I, that led me to the community that was also doing this stuff. And then it, uh, it, it kind of, it, it took me over. Time. It took you over. Oh, it be, it, and, and, and that's where you became, and I love this, I have to quote this, you became the hacker at large at the Programming Republic of Perl? That's right. Yeah, the Perl community had a very, uh, you know, sort of compelling cultural uh, mm. <laughs> cultural stories. Uh, and one of, one of them was uh, that it's a country, right? It's a mm -hmm, programming mm -hmm. republic. <laughs> that's um, awesome. That's we awesome. We ourselves with all kinds of, yeah. Oh, well, I, I probably would have scripted it. I know him, Jason you know. Is, is dying mm -hmm. to talk, so maybe I should leave a gap. No, no, we, well, you know what? We got, we got so Jason much. right now. I mean, I'm, 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 we're, we're, about, we're about to move over there, and then we're going to bring her all he, back. He did tell so. me that he coded in Perl in the early days. So Very nice. He's going to tell you that story, probably. Do, do, do you remember yeah. the first script you did, the first, the first thing you wrote? And don't don't well, say I'm just, <laughs> hello world. I'm just I'm just waking up right now. I was car is Sarathy finished speaking? I can't I like I'm where <laughs> are we? Here? Yeah. It's uh no, I like no sorry that I have a wonderful relationship when it comes mm -hmm. to that. Like there's um I uh I am not a coder. No, uh, the best I did was create a clown in V Visual Basic back in um on an Apple IIe and had it printed on a dot matrix computer and and I think I won the, the least likely to be a, a, a programmer for a living award at uh, Lakefield Computer Camp. That was my, that's my claim to fame on that. But it is actually funny enough, as I try and get my two daughters into coding, probably my biggest <laughs> regret is not going down that path. I, I did solder at UBC and graduated <laughs> you know, with a marketing degree and <laughs> embarrassed my family by starting a company right out of university. Well, that, well, that's what I was going to ask you about. So that's, is that the Columbus Group? Uh, the Columbus Group Communication, Inc.? Yeah, yeah, T yeah, tell me, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. So this is, you know, this is going way back, like Netscape era. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's early days of the web where um, uh, two friends and I started a company effectively building websites. And we just tried to do it in a kind of a, kind of a program, not even a programmatic way, more of a custom way, like a mm -hmm. web planning process that would lead to kind of an outcome where back in the day, it was like, do you want package A, B, or C from your internet service provider? And so it was a slight differentiator that we brought in. And we ended up building that company from, you know, the three of us university. Uh, we can't get our jobs, so we'll start our own company mindset, awesome. you know, five mm -hmm. grand in a pot. And that ended up being a hundred person company that got acquired by TELUS in uh, just, just before kind of the first dot-com era came to an end. And so it was a good outcome. And when you do that, you know, straight out of university, mm -hmm. you've got this mindset of oh, building businesses easy somehow, Simple, right? Because you, <laughs> you get, you get lucky and you think it's you. And then you realize that there's a lot of factors that come into play. And, you know, I think the best entrepreneurs out there would admit there's a lot of grit and, persistence and grind that you have to do but you need a big healthy dose of market luck that's going to help you with the tailwinds i hear you i hear you well question i mean you went to start what because i it's, it's there's such a um a stitched line in time where people like my age your age we started with doing websites like we got out of here wasn't sure what to do we started by websites it got us in the industry what, what year were you in solder so i i came out of solder in 94 Okay, so we're 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 yeah. pretty much we're pretty much the same then. I, well, I was I was ninety seven, okay. ninety eight, um, but uh, UBC Ski Club. I was bringing it up. You had maybe did oh, it. There you go. 
I, I used to be the president of that group. Um, well, you're 98, Chris. That's why you look younger and healthier than I do. So that's, uh, yeah. the, uh, that's the difference. <laughs> I extended it a lot. Let's just say that undergrad was uh, basically a PhD. Um, well, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go to the next chapter then. Because I mean, you know what? Felicitation for even, you know, for your first eggs at 100 people. I mean, that's incredible. That, that, that's incredible. And it really speaks to, you know, leadership um, and vision and, and a whole lot of luck. I'll, I'll, you know, it's, it's, it's a common theme, which I'll have to agree with. But then you went down to SFO. Right in San Francisco with Baizu.com. Is that was that the next next chapter? Can you can you tell me yeah. what's that like and how different that is to be doing it in the valley instead of in uh, Canada? Yeah, it was uh, it was very different because that was a startup with uh, two HBS grads, and so they had the whole Harvard Mafia to be able to leverage to get into nice. you know the right types of CEO um, you know C, uh, offices and venture capitalists, and so. Where the first company was services, you know, five grand in a pot, buy some Max and go, hang a shingle and hustle. Mm -hmm. This one was, um, think of it like Groupon before the social graph. So timing wise, too early, learned a big lesson around looking for trends and dovetailing those trends to uh, not be too far ahead or too far behind it. But that one was um, an interesting one because, you know, SF was going off. Everyone was, you know, a dot-com everything. And just at the tail end of that, we were trying to raise basically $20 million on the back of a PowerPoint deck. And um, it seemed like that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, odd for me as the bootstrapped grindy entrepreneur to be exposed to that world. But um, hey, I didn't go to Harvard. So um, you know, let's follow these guys and they seem to know better. And so it was, it was interesting to see the difference in approach um, from how an MBA thinker mm -hmm. would go about building a business. Unbelievably smart people, but the difference between is there a loose brick in that wall entrepreneur and I'm going to analyze everything and come to a probabilistic outcome and make mm -hmm. a decision on that versus ignoring the odds was, was quite clear to me. In fact, in my next thing, I, I worked at electronic arts or a guy named Don Matrick who we'd won some entrepreneur of the year awards through our first business. And he, you know, he kind of, we won the kind of, I'll call it the, the kid category, the emerging one. And he, he, uh, he won for like the real technology one. I remember going up to him and just saying like, look, I, I, we graduated, we started this company and I really don't know what I'm doing. I could use a mentor and um, kind of developed a relationship. And so when Columbus sold, um, I was going to go work for him and then uh, and then did the Spizu thing with the HPS grads. I remember talking to him about doing it instead of EA and he's like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. And I'm like, oh, oh. What, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm so disappointed that you would go not start up a company, but that you would do it with a couple MBAs. And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about, right? And, uh, and he, he literally said, like, look, the difference of a successful entrepreneur early, you have a mindset of you, you, you've done it, you pattern match, you think you can do it again naively. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a big thruster engine that you need to get your business off the ground to mentally think you can just do it and find a way. Whereas, you know, the MBA world teaches you how to analyze and be a little more cautious on things and again, mm -hmm. probabilistic outcomes. So that disappointment, you know, ended up um, maybe revealing itself. Not, not, it was more the timing of that business idea. And so he ended up bringing me in to look at mobile gaming at mm -hmm. EA. And, um, and so completely different world for me going from, you know, is that a door? Can I use that door and put Ikea legs on it, flip it over? And is there a box we can sit on to air chairs, three air chairs and a couch in my office. And like IT people that would set everything up for me and, you know, thousands of people and a VP title that seemed to matter and, you know, working for the president of worldwide studios. And it was just this completely different for like a real income too. Like there's a paycheck, which was like, I think we paid ourselves nothing in our first company. And mm -hmm. so, you know, very different worlds realized that I was a fish out of water there and uh, didn't want to stay too long. Also, it was very unique of how people thought about it. They were, there's a lot of career concern for individuals versus let's put the company first. Mm. There was no, let's, let's do this all together. It was, yeah, I'll say that, but really like, you're not going to screw me, are you? Because I need to climb this ladder. And it was, mm. I, that's not a shot at EA. That's just a general shot at when you get bigger, Early. there's politics, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not for me. So left, um, was big into the ultimate frisbee world and got into a company that a friend of mine from um, solder started called gaia and mm -hmm. i was an early snowboarder so i had this i had this conviction that if you could be the brand that's emblematic mm -hmm. of the sport 
then mm-hmm. you can rise as the sport rises. And I was, I was convinced that everybody in the world was going to play ultimate. Ultimate was going to take over the world. And so we <laughs> built a company effectively like an Umbro soccer and cleats mm-hmm. and bags and custom jerseys. And, and uh, I got to a couple million bucks, but it was never, never going to take off real inventory. Like for those of us in tech that are listening to this, like mm-hmm. we're lucky. Hard to like, scale. When you get real inventory, oh, like, you know, men's and women's cuts, 15 different colors, plus mm-hmm. extra small all the way to XL. How many do you order of each? Where do you store it? In the US and Canada? Like it's the logistics associated with that and getting product delivered on time, quality suppliers, just a different world. So uh, bailed out of that and then started to work at, uh, then actually, you know, truthfully, I looked around and said, I don't want to start another company. I want to I want to go work for somebody who's been there, done that. And that's when I mm-hmm. found Vision Critical and mm. Angus Reed and his son, Andrew, were kind yeah. of getting that thing off the ground. There's about eight folks. I know Andrew's been on your show. Good friend. Um, great great show with Andrew, I got to say. He, he, he really, I learned a lot from him. He's, he was fantastic. He's unbelievable. He's a force mm-hmm. of nature. You know, he's, he was impressive from day one when I met him. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, his father obviously had a great reputation, sold his mm-hmm. company for $100 million. So I thought... Let's get on board there. It's an, mm-hmm. It was like eight people at the time. And let's see if I could help that. And, you know, joining it, I really thought of it as my own company is an entrepreneur very much would. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's a beneficial thing. And it's also maybe a negative is uh, you, you expect certain things, not, not, not financially, but just um, um, control over your vision and, mm-hmm. and it's not your company. And so, um, but it was a good gig there that grew over seven years to, you know, 500 people and, Vision Critical is now called Alita, and it was certainly a good Canadian success story. But when I look at it relative to what maybe we could have become, mm-hmm. when our biggest competitor is now public for $25 billion, mm-hmm. Qualtrics, and we were equal to them at a certain point in time, it's frustrating to think that um, we look at a couple hundred million dollar valuation as a success, which mm. it would be, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and yet there's a $25 billion outcome that was in your grasp. And so I think that 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 context certainly helped sharpen my focus into clue mm-hmm. and say like if there is a big opportunity that's where you want to try and scale up and win it and be the category leader instead of in our case being uh, very conservative on our financial raises mm-hmm. at um in um, um vision critical this time actually maybe uh, raise the capital to kind of really accelerate yourself ahead of the competition and be that category leader. So there's a, can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can well, can I ask a question about because vision critical is one of those companies that really intrigues me because you know, in the States you have the PayPal mafia, but there's so many great companies that come out of the people, you know, from vision critical, like uh, Chris from Dooley and all this, what is it that, 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 you know, what's the DNA that makes people, um, why do so many innovators come out of, um, you know, vision critical, which at the end of the day, wasn't, the technology was relatively straightforward, um, but why do so many great innovators come out of there? Do you think? So it's a great question. I think there's, um, you know, Mark Bergen now runs uh, all mm-hmm. global revenue for Shopify, and mm-hmm. you know, he and Chris were both on the sales team at at, uh, at Vision Critical. I think you know, there's a magic moment in any company's history where you have uh, the wind at your back, the sales are full and you're cranking and the culture feels right. The market feels like it's yours for the taking. There's still lots of grinding, but there's this magic feeling of possibility. Mm. And I think everybody was infected by that at the early days of vision critical and that sense of what we can do. I think we found that balance of American Canadian, I'll call it um, just enough ego to uh, you know, sit at a table and be confident uh, with other people that are highly confident people, mm-hmm, but at the mm-hmm. same time have the humility of a Canadian that says we still don't know and there's lots we should learn and listen mm-hmm. for. And so I think that 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 was um, that's part of what we tried to build a vision critical culturally. And and again, I think you know there's a lot of people there that we had a lot of the right motions in place. Uh, we certainly had like Chris and. Mark and, and I and Andrew were all more on the, the SaaS product side and mm-hmm. go-to-market side of that business. And actually, Chris Whitmore and Tamara, ex-Vision Critical, both work at Clue now. And mm-hmm. Chris was the CTO, and he's now our VP Eng, and Tamara was running product, and now she runs product at Clue. And so mm-hmm. 
um, I think a lot of people had a taste of what could be and what was a great success, but mm-hmm. um, it feels like we could maybe tweak that model a little more and get to the next one. So I think it was really just what everybody tries to do, attract good people, give them room mm-hmm. to move, build a culture that and elevates them and, mm-hmm. and see how far you could take it. That's a great answer. I, I, I really, 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 really like that. Well, Jim, I mean, and then, you know, you guys met, you created an amazing company. You've sold it for two hundred billion dollars. Oh, maybe I jumped. Maybe I jumped ahead of there. But you know, I'm 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 creating a story storyline for you for where you where you're gonna go, and uh, um, I'll be applauding you along the whole way. Iconic public company that can last forever. There, there you go. You know, uh, and then and then you take you take all the rest of the 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 Vancouver along with you, and 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 I'm looking forward to riding that tail of that dragon. Well, again. The theme of 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 uh, afternoon tea is to you know to, to to talk about the the amazing journey that both of you had in order to expedite the, uh, the 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 next generation of Canadian founders. So I have two questions I always ask, and um, I'm sorry, I'm going to start with you if you please. But can you share one piece of advice um, to help younger Canadian founders? One thing that you've learned along the along the journey. Um, I think the the primary uh, factor for success is probably finding a great partner. Mm. To me, I think what has led to this is, uh, you know, my wife, uh, Nita, life, great life partner, mm-hmm. and my friend Jason, who's a great business partner. Mm-hmm. And uh, in so many ways, we kind of support each other, you know, it's like, uh, we complement each other, and yet we are similar in other respects. So that that uh, mix of complementary skills and attitudes uh, always helps, because uh, business life has its ebbs and flows, right? Some days, some days you're bullish, some days you're you're down, and you're not bullish, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you need the other person to kind of uh, lift you up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, throughout the six years, seven years that uh, we, have, we worked on this thing together. Uh, I can't think of any any one day where we didn't support each other uh, in it. some way, some small way. Uh, I so I think, I think that's a big, big uh, success factor. Um, yeah. And the, but the advice I would, I would give any budding entrepreneur is to always be hopeful. Right. No matter how bad things get or how matter how hopeless things are, mm-hmm. you've got to find a way to create the hope within you. And you have to find the bright side of whatever it is, wherever you are, and motivate you from um, with hope rather than, you know, push you with, with despair. Like you're going to, you know, if you didn't do it, you would fail. Uh, it's not it's not the right way to to motivate yourself. Instead, you could motivate yourself uh, with with positive visions of how you would move forward from wherever you are. Find the hope within you. That's a T-shirt I would love to get. Like I, I think that's I think that's amazing advice. And 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 the partners. I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, you have to love and trust them because uh, just like you mentioned about how, you, you know, your wife is part of the journey. Well, you know what? Your business partner is just like your wife. So I, I, I understand that. Well, well, let me, let me, let me, let me uh, take, take it to you, Jason. Same question then. One, one piece of advice that you give to the uh, young Canadian startup founder. It's so hard to think of one, right? So there's so many on that. I will emphasize the trust side when you think about mm-hmm. your founding partner. Trust mm-hmm. is absolutely critical in addition to the obvious complementary skill sets. You know, I'll, um, I think there's, 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 there's a word that is overused, interpreted by many um, differently, and it is culture, and it is, um, but if I could put my view on it, I think it's about the talent density and the talent mindset that you bring in early, and how much room you give them to move and where the guardrails are, right? So you're not going to just say it's free and open. You are going to set a bit of the tone of the work ethic, the approach, um, you know, dis- disarming any ego and getting to the, the, the root issue of whatever problem you need to solve um, without the egos and without the personal agendas. I think that's a tone that the founders can set. So when I think of culture, I think it's about finding the people that want to elevate and put that elevation first. Mm-hmm. I don't think of it as supportive in this kumbaya kind of thing. I, it's not like, it is not a soft thing. Mm-hmm. It is a how do you find the people that actually enjoy a bit of the pain? Mm-hmm. 
mm. enjoy the climb enjoy the uh there's a nice view there but what's up on that next level like maybe we go around that next corner mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. certainly at the earliest stages of your startup you need people that are mountain climbers you need the people that want to mm-hmm. elevate and are not going to have like the whinging or the whining on the way up that they've got blisters and they're mm-hmm. a victim of this they're just going to find a way to do it and and get through it and if somebody is falling down then they put them on their back and when they fall down that person puts them on their back and that that is that's that culture that i'm talking about it's an elevated supportive um transparent vulnerability that says we're getting to the damn top of the mountain do you want Mm -hmm. on or not it ain't a vacation it's not for everyone but if you're coming on board for this everest trip then um let's let's do it right Let's do it right. I, that's that. That's awesome. Support, support, support. And you know what? Maybe, maybe uh, you're not going to bitch about the blisters, but your 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 partner and your your coworkers better notice you have them, so they can pick up the slack. Should you should you should you need to? So I I think that's I think that's fantastic. I love these mountain um, you know visions that we're 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 constantly going back to. I hope you guys climb lots of mountains, and I hope you also recognize where the top of that mountain is at some point, because uh, that mm-hmm. is some somewhere to stand up, you know, and 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 sing from high praise. Uh, uh, well, kumbaya. If that's if that's where you're going to go, but um, well, you know what? I'll go back to you, Jason. Then, um, can you share with me, please, um, the name of a Canadian entrepreneurial star or founder that you personally look up to? Yeah, this is an interesting question. There's so many entrepreneurs I look up to, and there's a whole bunch of them on my cap table that were angel investors. You know, from, even better. <laughs> yeah, uh, like Ryan Holmes and Hootsuite. Mm-hmm. You know, was a fantastic supporter of us early. Steve mm-hmm. Munford, that was Sophos mm-hmm. and others. But I'm going to pick Mike Serbinas, and he mm-hmm. runs a company called League Meta Toronto. And mm-hmm. and there's a specific thing that I really appreciated about Mike. He's he's an incredibly successful entrepreneur and is building mm-hmm. League into a multi-billion-dollar likely mm-hmm. public outcome. It's going to be a fantastic Canadian-run business. There was a, a moment in time when he said, "Look, there's a there's." in every startup's history and their trajectory and their journey, you got to decide if you want to be the fly or the elephant, are you the fly or the elephant? And I didn't fully grasp it at that time, but when we are staring down the barrel of, do we want to raise another round? That's going to be a high valuation with a big press stack that we're going to need to clear if we sell our company or go public or anything, mm-hmm. you kind of have to take this deep breath of you're going for it, mm-hmm. like going for it. That's the elephant moment. Mm-hmm. The fly mm-hmm. moment is you can build a very successful business, keep it tight and bootstrap or small amounts of uh, capital inputs mm-hmm. and look for a, an amazingly rewarding exit entrepreneurially. Mm-hmm. And um, there's plenty of, plenty of flies out there. There's a handful of elephants out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you, and so I, I really respected Mike when he shared that of are you a fly nice. or the elephant? And you got to decide at one point what you want to be. And um, yeah, and it's hard when there's two, two people in a room and a whiteboard to say, I want to be the elephant. You are mm-hmm. the fly at that point, but you have to be thinking about how big you want to take the thing. You're learning to become the elephant. There you go. And that's, that's great advice in league. I mean, honestly, that's, that's a, that's a great company and uh, hard not to, not to appreciate that. So I think, tell me, tell me a uh, Canadian entrepreneur or founder, um, or you, you know what, even if you want to go back to the Indian roots, an Indian um, founder, maybe that'll be of interest too that you really look up to. Actually, there are a lot of entrepreneurs that I admire, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm going to go with the technologist. Uh, okay, good. Because because technology evolution requires a lot of guts and mm-hmm. uh, all the same uh, entrepreneurship mindset uh, in order to break through and do something new. Mm-hmm. You got to have the courage and the uh, the balance between ambition and contentment that it takes mm-hmm. to achieve things, right? Uh, so I'm going to pick uh, two uh, tech- Canadian technologists. Okay. Uh, the early one that I was inspired by was Rob Pike. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob Pike is a uh, yeah, probably most recently well known as one of the authors of the Go language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been involved in the Unix um, development for many years. He was at Bell Labs in the 60s and uh, built a lot of the, the later uh, evolution of what Unix uh, became, Plan 9 and other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the foundational things in the Go language uh, were a result of Rob um, kind of uh, talking about them and, and inspiring uh, those directions. 
so that Rob was an early influence in my, uh, uh, you know, the things I learned and what I mm -hmm. focused on. Uh, mm -hmm. And then more recently, uh, a, um, a big influence uh, is Jeffrey Hinton, um, mm. the big three, one of the big three uh, AI pioneers uh, who's Canadian. Um, he's an academic, uh, but he was instrumental in making uh, huge strides in, in machine learning, in deep learning. Completely. Um, so that's what for, that's what I'm going to go with. For, and over, for overlooked pride? for so many years, overlooked yes. for so many years, and then Completely. just said, "I think there's something in this," and then, and then yeah, the world right. discovers him, and he had it right, know, rightly elevates him. He had it right, and I'm really proud to say, as a, as a good Canadian, that one of our meeting rooms is named after him. So, which, yeah, which is which is really it. important. Which is really important. Well, gents, I mean, I'm I'm going to honestly say, if I look up to anyone, both of you is you know a direction i want to go i mean i'm thinking i'm thinking elephant now though i'm just a fly in here chatting so uh, um you know both i just want to say thank you um you know from 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 the canadian perspective thank you for sharing you know your valuable time uh with us for for sharing your lessons and uh you know and and, and also thank you for for bringing capital <laughs> into into the country and showing a model that you don't have to go down to the states you can do it from here and you can be successful doing it and with every story of success that comes here and raises great, great deals of capital, Americans and Europeans and all that take notice and think, what other wonderful pearls can we find? So, and we're taking back the pearl P-E-R-L instead of P-E-A-R-L, but you know, that's, that's our, that's our language, our language thing in here. But, but, but honestly, gents, thank you so much. Um, and, and congratulations. And I hope that you, you know, do get to celebrate with your team and with your families and with each other, the, uh, the journey that, uh, you know, you're on and still on as you climb that mountain. So uh, cheers and best of luck in the next stages. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Ahoy, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you liked this episode and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at TTT, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at TTT underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.